Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. As a speaker, I will admit that there are, there are some times where I try to get a little nifty. I try to hit like a little, you know, like a, like a, um, uh, an intro that would ring just right. You know, I try to hit like a, tell a story or a, a little joke or something in there to kind of, you know, get the kind of set the, the, the stage for what we're going to talk about. And, you know, today I thought about the same thing and I thought about, you know, um, how could I, you know, I, I don't, I, I thought better of it later, but, you know, how could, um, I listen to all these things that our culture tells us it's growing increasing, increasingly more secular and actually more pagan. They're just calling it secular, but they, they worship something. They just don't realize it yet. Um, and I was, you know, I, I'm driven nuts on the daily by people who are not Christians who, you know, try to use social media to be like, actually Christians, these Christmas and Easter holidays you're celebrating are actually pagan. You don't really know what you're doing. And, you know, I would, I would, I just roll my eyes and it's like nails on a chalkboard for someone who studies and, you know, who preaches and who given their life to serving Christ. Cause none of that's true. They're just trying to be instigators or find a way to reject the conviction of the Holy spirit and remain in their sinful life. That's what they're trying to do. Um, and so I thought maybe I could take the most searched one and the most watched one and we pull it apart and and tell you why it's not true and kind of be reactionary to what other people said and then i just couldn't i i i thought about how people are you know i I saw the argument just yesterday gosh it's just driving me nuts i'm sorry um but how you know the you know the, the why are you why is it that you you pick this time of year you know with the you know with uh the celebration of Easter. Why is it connected to this particular season? How could we couldn't put it anywhere else? Well, it's connected to Passover because the last supper that happened right before Jesus died was a Passover meal with his disciples. And so the reason it's this type of time of year is connected to Passover. It's not always on the Passover day, but it's always connected in the same season, the same time frame as Passover. And, and so I really wanted to come and kind of be, you know, nifty. I wanted to be, you know, got a little turn there and it can, you know, and, and do the speaker thing, do the speaker trick. You know what I mean? And there's a lot of times where um, the Lord might be like, okay, go ahead. But this morning as I sat and I was all nifty, I was ready to be nifty this morning. And I sat this morning in my truck and was going through the message and I just couldn't. I just couldn't. I couldn't take the immeasurable work of Jesus and make it nifty. It just means too much. I couldn't look at the day that we're supposed to celebrate and be like, yeah, let's have like, you know, put a full band in here and just blow you out the back of the the house. You know what I mean? With the sound system and all that stuff. I'm not against all that. Just couldn't do it today. Just couldn't do it. Call it conviction or whatever you want, but as someone who's trying to not just speak to you and be nifty, but present to you what the Spirit of God would lay in front of me, I just couldn't do it. Doesn't mean we won't be nifty next year. Maybe I'll get permission, but I didn't have it this year. I actually looked at, and and this is probably an odd thing, and maybe you guys don't overthink like this, but this is me. 
Um, I looked at the, the term celebrate. And we celebrate a lot in our culture. We got holidays, we got birthdays, we got anniversaries. And when we celebrate birthdays, what do we do? Anybody? I know your son just had a birthday, right? What do we do when we, when we celebrate? Saying happy birthday, we have a cake, all right? So, so is the definition of celebration cake and singing? No. When we celebrate anniversaries, mine and Nina's 24th is coming up here in, a, in next month. When we celebrate, oh, thank you. Um, when we celebrate anniversaries, you know, you can go to dinner at a special place or light a candle or give a gift, but is the dinner the candle and the is the dinner the candle and the and the moment is that the celebration no what is the celebration what is it and so when i looked at that i thought you know i have said i celebrate things i've celebrated my own birthday my wife's birthday my son's birthday all the all's birthday i've celebrated you know you guys and if you were here back in the very beginning uh when i turned 25 we all celebrated together it was awesome <clears throat> and uh, a bunch of people were here um and i said i've celebrated but what does that mean celebrate we're here to celebrate the resurrection what are we doing and i went back to the cambridge dictionary and found that celebration basically comes down to acknowledging and recognizing something that happened to, that's an important occasion. We we stop what we're doing. We do something out of the ordinary. We have some type of gathering. We have some type of activity that would designate. We don't normally do this, but we're going to do it on this day because I want to acknowledge and recognize what's happening. I want to look back and acknowledge and recognize what Jesus did for us. I want to, if there's a newborn baby, we all get together and acknowledge the birth and we recognize this is a special occasion, right? But that's what you do when something's right now. But what do you do? How do you acknowledge and recognize something that happened 2000 years ago that's still having ripple effects today? How do you acknowledge it? And what I came up with as I was praying and sitting there with, the Lord this morning is, you remember it. You don't just remember the act because there's a whole bunch of people that are coming to church today because they remember, oh yeah, this is the day with Jesus on the, on the cross thing, right? Right, that's what we're going, oh yeah, yeah, we gotta go to that one. Like we gotta, we, we can't miss the two biggest church days, Christmas and Easter. We can't miss those two because yeah, we remember that he lived and, or he was born and we remember that he died and rose again and we'll go and celebrate those things, but um, what are we really celebrating? We're acknowledging that it happened or just knowing that the culture says we're supposed to go do this on this day? Because my fear is there's a large percentage of the people who are sitting in churches around the country who are only there today because the culture says it's what you're supposed to do today. They remember an event and they're increasingly drawing back from the event because they're like, I don't even know what really happened. But the resurrection of Jesus is one of the most historically verifiable, accurate, and reliable accounts of history that we have. As someone who 
tries to deal in, in the world of apologetics from, from time to time. I wanted to get into why it's real, why it's real. But again, I just couldn't do it. Not saying that that's wrong. That's very right. But today, couldn't do it. I felt compelled to remember not just an event that took place, but the ripple effect that it has today. And not just in today in a general term in the world and in the earth, but to you. Because if you've walked with Jesus long enough, or you know someone who's followed him long enough, you're going to have moments that you remembered. Moments where he showed up. Moments where you would, uh, after a while, you kind of get busy with the with the responsibilities of life and the cares of what we're supposed to be doing. And what happens? We kind of forget. I experienced that this week when Nina and I had a moment where we held hands and wept and thanked God for an answered prayer. A long one got answered it this week. And two days later, I was back to worrying. Two days later, I was back to worrying. How did I forget in two days? How did I get so involved in my life that I forgot what he did two days before? And then I'm back to worrying. I'm back to concern. I'm back to stressing. God, what are we going to do? How in the world did I, did I forget so quick? As I sat this morning, I remember, I, I thought, oh, this is why. At least for us, this body of believers and whoever would listen or watch this later, we need to remember. So I got six little areas and scriptures I want to read to you quickly for our time together that I want to use as prompts for you to remember. And the first one is simple. It's on the first one on your notes. What do we need to remember? We need to remember what Jesus has already done. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but when one event is done, I'm kind of on to the next one. One thing is accomplished. This is over. I'm on to the next one. And I'm asking God, what's the next step? Where are we going next? What's go ahead of us? Where, where are you leading us? Which way do you want us to step or, or, or wait or direction or shift or focus or pivot or whatever? I'm on to the next thing. But before we go on to the next thing today, let's remember what he's already done. <clears throat> the disciples in Matthew chapter 16 were arguing about bread, physical bread. They were arguing that somebody didn't bring the bread that they were supposed to bring for the journey. I can see the disciples kind of looking at each other. These are real people, you know. I don't want to kind of mystify all this, but these are real people. I can see one of them looking at the other one and go, bro, did you bring the bread? Like, no, man, I brought the plates. I brought the paper plates. What did you bring? I brought the napkins, man. I thought you were bringing the bread. No, he brought the butter. Who brought the bread? I don't know. who. You're supposed to bring the bread. Dude, you're stupid. Jesus is over here and he's going to be hungry. Why did you bring a stink of bread? And they're arguing about bread after Jesus did two massive miracles of feeding the 5,000. After it. Matthew 16, 7 through 10, as this they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. Jesus knew what they were saying. So he said, you have so little faith. Why are you arguing with each other about having no bread? Don't you understand even yet? Don't you remember? 
the 5,000 I fed with the five loaves, the basket of leftovers you picked up, or the 4,000 um, with seven loaves and the large basket of leftovers you picked up, they did what I did. A short time after, they literally watched Jesus take a, a, a two-piece fish meal from Long John Silver's with some hush puppies and divide that thing out and feed 5,000 people and then do it again with the same amount of food to 4,000 people. And they picked up 12 extra baskets the first time, seven extra baskets, baskets of food the second time. They had watched him do that. Not only did they watch him do it, they participated in it because the, he broke the bread, blessed it and handed it to them. And then they went and watched it Every time they pulled off a piece and gave it, they watched that thing get bigger and bigger when it should have gotten smaller and smaller. And here they are still worried about stinking food. Still worried about bread. What he's saying here is, hey, why are you worried about your provision? Why are, yes, thank you, Elijah, he's with me. Why, why are you worried about why are you worried about what you're going to eat? We can go back to the uh, earlier in the book of Matthew. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to clothe yourself in. He's saying, don't let these worries overrun you. If you're following me, I have the ability to make all this stuff show up in an instant, in an instant notice. I can do it myself. I can put it in your hands. I can do whatever I want. You can do whatever you like for all the music people in the house, right? So he's saying, he's saying I, you can do, I can do it however I want to however I want to, and you're worried? How many of us are worried now about something? But if we would stop and say, I remember the specific moment where God was faithful to me. I typically worry when I'm not worshiping and when I'm not praying and I'm not interacting with God through his word. Those are the points where I worry. My question for you today is, are you worried because you forgot what he just did? Is there any point in your life where God showed up and said, I'm going to meet a need? You thought it was over. You thought oh, this is going to be the end of the road. I'm losing my house. I'm moving the car. I'm losing the kids. I'm losing the dog. I would like to lose the dog. But I, if you don't want yours, that's for you. But I, I want, I, I want the, I'm about to lose whatever it is that's important to you. And then God shows up and says, no, I, I'm here for you. He heard your prayer and answered it. Do you remember when that happened, believer? Do you remember at any point in time, or if that hasn't happened to you yet, have you heard the story of someone who that happened to? Do you remember what it was like when he was the source and not the job? Do you remember what it was like when he was the provider and not what you thought you could create with your own hands? Do you remember when he came through? And not just in general, oh yeah, he comes through. No, no, when he came through specifically for you, when it was your house on the line, your business on the line, your family on the line, and you remember when he came through, what was it? This giant relief. And in those moments, what do we do? I'll never forget this. 
This has made such a mark on my life. He provided for me. How could I ever doubt him? And then two days later, we have to remember. We have to remember. Second thing we need to remember is we need to remember God's grace. <clears throat> the biggest mouth. Don't point at me. Let me finish my statement. I know you made things to me, but the biggest mouth in the disciples was Peter. Dude would always open his mouth and say something. He would always run his mouth. He would say something he wasn't supposed to say. He would go forward and he would he would commit the things he wasn't supposed to commit to or whatever. And and Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, I'm about to be taken away. I'm about to be drug out. I'm, I'm about to be beaten. I'm about to be put on a cross. And what's Peter say? Not while I'm here. I got a sword and a massive ego. <laughs> and we're going we're gonna to do some work when them fools show up, right? Well, I'm, I'm not going to take you. And Jesus casually looks at Peter and says, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you'll deny me three times. Peter, no, I ain't doing that. Are you kidding me? I'll never, I'll never do that. And Jesus is like, all right, cool. Matthew 26, 69 through 75, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard. This is after Jesus had been arrested. And a servant girl came to him. You were, you also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. I wish, I wish I didn't know what this was like. I wish that I didn't know what it was like to deny that I was with God or I was serving him or I was following him or I was one of those church kids or one of those Jesus people. I wish that I didn't have the moment where I said, no, I'm not with them because I wanted the acceptance of other people. I wish that was one of those things I read and been like, I don't know what that's like, but that must have been terrible. But unfortunately, I know exactly what that's like. I know what it, exactly what that feels like, what that sense is when you are de dealing with the embarrassment of rejection. Am I going to be told that I'm, I'm going to be called names? Am I going to be told that I'm something that I'm not? Am I going to take the pressure that the culture is rolling my way to keep my mouth shut, to do what they want me to do, to kneel at the, the altar of the gods that they're worshiping typically themselves and sign off on their behavior? Or am I going to sit here and actually stand up? There was a moment in my younger years where I didn't stand up. I wanted the acceptance real bad. I wanted the 
friends really bad. I wanted the, the, the kids that I looked up to that I thought were something to think I was something too. I wish I didn't know the embarrassment of that moment when the Lord revealed to me, hey, um, what'd you say? I wish I didn't have to go to God and ask him to forgive me because I turned my back on him, although he never left me and never forsook me. But that grace, that grace, that level of love and grace that is exhibited through Jesus's life, his death and his resurrection is nothing like you will ever experience from a man. Because if Peter had done that to me, I would have rose back from the dead and been like, bro, uh, go pound sand. Get out of here. Take a walk. I'm not dealing with you no more. In the most crucial moment, what happened? You couldn't even stand up. You were bragging like five minutes ago. Remember yesterday? Oh, they're not going to get past me. I got my sword. You're not going to be doing all that. What's happening now? And he broke under the pressure. And guess what? God did not remove the title of the rock from him. Even though you cracked under pressure, if you stay with me, I can fix all of that. Tell me one place where you get grace like that. Tell me one other place outside of a relationship with Christ where you get grace like that. It doesn't exist. If you were someone who were well, didn't know and weren't raised in church or wasn't told what the Bible said as a, as a child, and believe me, there's a growing number of people like this that are out there, especially in our country now, who say, oh my gosh, I didn't know this is, this is wrong. I, I need to not participate in this anymore. I'm so sorry. It's one thing if you didn't know. But it's different if you've been walking with him for a whole long time. I might be able to conjure up enough grace to be like, well, they didn't know I'll forgive them. But me, church kid, raising church, revival meetings, Royal Rangers. I, I didn't want to go to Mission Nets, but they almost took me one time when I was too young. I went to the, the kids thing. I went to the youth thing. I went to the camping things. I went to the revival. I went to all the conferences. And I still looked at him and said, I don't know him. Remember the moment where that happened for you? Maybe you're one of the few in this room who would say, I, I don't know what that's like, and I'm wonderfully glad for you. But for the rest of us who had the moment to, to de openly declare his name or to go along with the culture to get some type of acceptance, and we were weak in that moment, do you remember the moment? Remember the moment where your actions didn't even come close to matching your words. And then do you remember the grace that God gave you? Do you remember at that moment where, where God said, I don't care that you've done this thing that in your eyes is so terrible. You don't just get the outskirts of the grace. It's not just that barely splashed on you. So you get to come in. No, his grace went all the way and then some and covered what you did knowing that it was wrong.
And I can't wrap my head around that. I can't wrap my head or my heart around something that would love me that deeply. I don't know that I could ever experience that anywhere else except for Jesus. Do you remember his grace? And not just that he gave it to you. Do you remember the specifics? Do you remember kneeling down at an altar? Do you remember pulling over the side of the road in your car? Do you remember laying on the floor of your bedroom? Do you remember sitting on the side of your bed? Do you remember sitting on a couch somewhere? Do you remember walking somewhere and realizing this is the moment everything changes? I have grace and he has given it to me over and over again in a measure that I cannot understand. Do you remember that moment? Because this morning, celebration requires we remember. Number three, we need to remember that Jesus rebuilds. That Jesus rebuilds. Romans 8, 26 to 28. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good. Let's stop right there. Many people stop reading this verse right here. It'll all work out for good. Everything works together for good. But there's not a period there. Everything works together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Our culture has this great saying when tragedy happens, right? People look at each other and go, everything happens for a reason. Oh, it happens for a reason. Yes, every cause has an effect. But is the effect in your life controlled and orchestrated by the creativity of God because you are following him to whatever end? Has he ever taken a terrible scenario in your life that at the moment you thought was so hurtful, so heavy, so destructive, and then flipped that thing on its end and said, I'm going to actually use this for good? Has God ever used something that seemed negative to have a positive outcome in your life? My guess is the answer is yes. I heard a a kind of a a, a funny story of of a king who had a very close friend and confidant who was a minister. The king... Um, and, and the minister were, were very close. He would advise him in all these different matters. He would pray for him and they were, you know, they were, they were kind of inseparable. They would go everywhere together. One day, uh, the king had invited a bunch of people to dinner as he normally did. And right there to his right, uh, was his friend, his confidant, the minister. And while the, the king was eating, he cuts his food and the knife slipped off his plate and he cut his hand open with this deep gash. The minister, his friend jumps up, grabs a rag, puts it on top of it immediately to stop the bleeding. And the the king is in pain and he's frustrated and angry. And the the minister looks at him and says, don't worry, king, 
we honor God, he will use this for good. The king is irritated. What are you talking about? Using this for good? I just cut my hand wide open. I can see the meat down here in my, in my hand. I can see like a little bit of the, the tendons down here. I'm in pain and you're the first thing out of your mouth is not you're okay, but don't worry that God's going to use this for good. How about you learn how to talk to me? And in his anger, he sends his friend, the minister to jail for the evening and says, spend the night in there and figure out how to respond to me better next time. And as the guards drug the minister away, he said, I am someone who honors God. He will use this for good. The king's servants came and attended to his hand and wrapped up the bandage. And the next morning he got up and he was still irritated. He's still sore. He sees the, the gas on his hand, the wound, and he tries to clean up the wound and says, I need to go blow off some steam. And he normally goes out with a, a bunch of people to go walk and with his guard and with his friends. This morning he went by himself went out into the woods and he was ambushed, attacked and captured by a native tribe that was near his kingdom. They were looking for a sacrifice to one of their pagan gods. So they drug him and tied him um, to a pole and they performed all of their rituals. And the time came for them to sacrifice a human sacrifice to their pagan God. And so they lit the fire big and the person who was leading the um, uh, leading the ritual came over and cut the, the, uh, the, the, the rope off of the king's hand. And when he did that, he noticed that he was cut. He noticed there was blood seeping through the wound or the bandage from the wound. And they, he turned and looked at his fellow tribesmen and says, we cannot use him for our God requires someone who is uncut. They released him. And immediately he ran back as, as quick as he could to his kingdom. He went down into the jail and he told his confidant, the minister, what happened. He told him that because of the cut, my life was saved. You were right. God used it for something good. And the minister said, yes, I told you that. And he goes, but I heard you say the same thing when I threw you in jail for the night. How was it good for you to be in here overnight? And he goes, King, had I not been in here, I would have gone with you. And I was not cut. <laughs> <clears throat> Just because something seems that it's not working out at the moment for those who honor God, for those who are called and are living according to his purpose for them, those who have dedicated their life to him, just because at this moment it looks like a catastrophe doesn't mean that God, through his creative, infinite power, doesn't flip that thing on its end and use it for good. Right. You ever experienced something like that? Yes ever experienced something like that where where you had a moment where you're like this is the most crushing hurtful um defeating thing that i've ever experienced in my life and then god said oh yeah uh you follow me yes and then lo and behold somehow along the line he turns let me use the churchy phrase your mess into a message yeah yes he ever turned something terrible into something good for you not just in a general sense very specifically mm -hmm. i'm not going to ask you to come up here and tell it so don't get panicked some of you're like 
I do remember, but I don't want to come up there, please. <clears throat> I'm not doing that to you. What I want you to do is not yet let it come out of your mouth. I want it to rise to the top of your mind and the top of your heart because we can't celebrate him until we remember. Yes. Fourth thing, we must remember Jesus' sacrifice. <clears throat> we must remember Jesus' sacrifice. Luke 22, 14 through 20. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he said, take this, share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks for thanks to God for it. He broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is a new, a new covenant between God and his people and an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice to you. So this morning, in an act of obedience, we're going to remember his sacrifice. Ryan, will you come? You know, when I hear Matt's words about remembrance and think about Jesus on the cross, a lot of times when we do this, we talk about all the unspeakable cruelty that happened to him right before his death, the the flogging, the torture, being spat upon, being beaten over the head, the crown of thorns. Honestly, if you know Jesus, like the scripture tells us who Jesus is, that's not what hurt the most. What hurt the most was having to say goodbye to his brothers and sisters. Was having to have that last meal with his friends, knowing that they were never going to have a meal again like they had at that moment. It was going to have to be able to tell his beloved apostle, this is your mother now because I can no longer take care of her. The thing that hurt the most was putting that coat of sin on as he died on that cross without ever having to commit a single one of those. And some of Jesus' last words before he died, he was praying for us, not himself, yeah. because that's what hurt. Yeah. That's what hurt. But I read the words of, of Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, and I don't feel like there's any other way to justify his death better than what Paul says here. He says, For I received from my Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you broadcast the Lord's death until he comes. Broadcast. That's not whispering it. That's not keeping it to yourself. That's not sharing it with your family. It's putting it out of every single way of communication you possibly can. Reaching out to everyone. That is how you justify this death, by not forgetting it. And that's what we're about to do right now. If you would, take out the bread that you have, and we'll pray for it.
Let's pray. Dear Lord in heaven, we remember. We remember this sacrifice. We will broadcast this sacrifice to everyone we know. We know this bread represents your son's body on the cross. That was perfect. And the only blemish that was put upon it was by us, Lord. We pray as we take this bread, we remember that he was broken and beaten and bruised for no other reason than just love. That was it, Lord. Let us never forget that. Please be with us as we partake. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And if you will, we'll also take the cup. Let us pray. Dear Lord in heaven, we know that this fruit of the vine represents your son's blood. Lord, we know this blood was clean and pure and holy, and the only taint upon it was put by our sins. Lord, we thank you for that crown of thorns, those thorns that you gave Adam upon the first sin that would toil his days. Jesus took those crowns and put them on his head and took that sin away from us, Lord. We thank you for this blood that we are about to partake. Let's do it in remembrance of him. Christ, let me pray. Amen. Thank you all. Amen. Number five, the other thing that we need to remember is Jesus's mercy. <clears throat> Jesus mercy. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but when you talk about grace and mercy, what's the difference? Grace is that you've been forgiven. Mercy is the fact that you don't get the punishment that you deserve. All of us have been forgiven, and we talk about that quite a bit, but we forget about the mercy of God. How the price that he paid that we just remembered, his body being broken, his blood being spilled, is our punishment. <clears throat> Sometimes we make the fact... Serving God, a very complicated endeavor. <clears throat> but I'm reminded of the two men who were crucified next to Jesus. He wasn't the only one crucified that day. There was three of them. He was hung between two thieves. One of them mocked and rejected him. But the other one, he, he decided at the last moment of his life to acknowledge who Jesus was. Luke 23, 40 through 43. <clears throat> but the other criminal protested, don't you fear God when you have been sentenced to die? He's talking to the other man. We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus replied, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. I meet a lot of people who say when I ask them to pray, we're in a group of people, there's a handful of us or whatever. I talk to them about prayer. They're like, I don't know how to pray. I don't feel comfortable praying in front of people. I don't know what to say. This thief on the cross shatters that idea. 
most people look at the person who's behind the microphone or on a pulpit or on a stage somewhere and they see how well that they have practiced their their message or how good of an orator they are or how their words flow together and they think oh you could write that as a beautiful poem and sell it to somebody somewhere and i don't do that so i don't pray but this man prayed one of the most real and powerful prayers that you can ever pray. Nine words. Nine words changed his eternal destiny. There's nothing special about the nine words. It is only to, to showcase the fact that the prayer that is not eloquent, the one that is not all put together, not that rolls off the tongue very well, but the one that says, God, I need you now is the most powerful one that you can pray. There is no mantra, there is no book of prayers that you can recite to get the, the right verbiage or the pray in the right order. Like when I was taught as a kid, if you want joy, it's Jesus, others, you, J-O-Y. And I was afraid to pray out of that order because I wanted to have the joy of the Lord. But there is no recipe, there is no uh, formulaic approach, there's no systematic outside of you. Go to God with your faith in him, that he can and that he will for you as long as it's as it's in line with what he wants for you that's it i don't care what jabez prayed i don't care what abraham prayed there's not some prayer that's in the bible that you can repeat verbatim over and over again and twist god's arm into giving you the thing that you want jesus said in matthew chapter 6 that when you pray don't babble on like gentiles and pagans do they think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words over and over again and guess who does that not christians new agers they're called mantras there's no mantras in the kingdom because we have a risen master do you remember when you were at your wits end and you cried out to god do you remember when there was nothing eloquent? There was only sorrow. There was only need. There was only desire. There was only heartbreak. There was only an immediate need. And I need you here now, God. And he came in with his peace. Do you remember that? Do you remember where you were sitting? Do you remember how long you cried before that happened? Do you remember how long you prayed before it got to the point where it just broke you? Do you remember? Because that's going to be required before we celebrate. Last one. We're going to remember who we were. We need to remember who we were. <clears throat> Colossians 1, 19 through 22. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you, yes, you and me, who were once far away from God. You were his enemy, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. 
Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ and his physical body. And as a result, he's brought you into his own presence and you are made holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. I don't know about you, but when I read those words that you as an unbeliever were his enemy, it shook me. I always thought I was lost. I thought I was just kind of going in the wrong direction. I thought I was wandering in the wrong field. I thought I had just moved into in a direction where I had not supposed to be. I never once thought about I was his enemy. I know a man who was involved in Christian apologetics and he goes to colleges around the country and he stands and presents a gospel presentation and then lets any of the, the students come and ask questions about any subject related to God and Christianity and life. And routinely, when people don't listen to his logic, they don't follow his train of thought, he asks them a question. And here's what he says. If I could prove to you and convince you that Jesus is real, this Christian faith is in fact true if i could do that for you right now would you accept it would you believe it and more than half of those students say no why i gotta give up what i want to do the selfishness the self-worship the, the worshiping of the sin that I want to continue to participate in. I will not sacrifice it even if I know it's wrong. I listened to a very popular former NBA athlete Friday, Good Friday, on an interview say the following words. They were talking about a lot of money. You know, if you were given a bunch of money, would you go and do X, Y, and Z job or whatever? He said, if you give me, you know, all this money, and they were talking about $200 million. He goes, if you give me a $200 million, there's not a lot I, I wouldn't do. He goes, if you put $200 million and it's hell, and then if I don't have it, it's heaven, then I'm already going to hell, so I might as well take the money. And that was his profession, and everybody in the, in the interview room laughed. That was his profession on Good Friday. Is it disrespectful? Sure, but it's more telling than that. He has no clue or belief in heaven or hell. He has no clue the price that was paid for him. He has forgotten the message of the gospel that has been presented to him or there would never, that, that statement never would have rolled across his lips. How arrogant of us. That's what I thought. How arrogant is it to think, oh, I would, oh, I'd, I'd choose hell to give me $200 million now. How arrogant is it of us to know the right thing to do, know the right way to go, to hear the gospel message over and over and over again and have it be presented to us and have his word available to us and have people speak everywhere we go on every single platform about God's love, his goodness, his op the opportunity that you have been given through his death, his burial and his resurrection to be reconciled to God simply by having faith in him and letting him transform your life how arrogant to look at that and be like nah i'm good 
I sat there and I couldn't believe what I was hearing and I was upset and I was righteous anger. And then I just felt the Lord just turn the mirror around on me and say, hey man, remember those days for you? Remember when you knew better and you still did it anyway? Remember when you heard the message and thought, I don't want to do that anymore and still went your own way? Remember the arrogance you felt when I'm grown, got my own car. Got to ask my dad for gas money, but I got my own car. Got my own place to live. I'm feeding myself. I got my own life. Y'all can't have no more influence on me. I do what I want. Remember that day? And remember when the Lord shined graciously and lovingly shined his light on that arrogance and it was wildly embarrassing. At the end of my teenage years, I spent a couple of those years not really serving God because I was mad at the church and mad at a pastor and hurt by a situation that didn't go that way I wanted it. I said, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. And I got really angry. I got really bitter. I got really cynical. And you want to talk about one of the worst people in the world to be around. I was that guy. People didn't want to do anything. When I had nothing to do with me because I was mad and I knew I was right and you couldn't tell me anything, Kanye. I knew I was right. So sure that bitterness was how my life was going to go. And then when the Lord graciously showed me, hey man, how you're acting is completely opposite of what I want for you. I started to have flashbacks of the things that I said. And I just, gosh, I cringed. The places that I went, the, the things that I participated in, the words that came out of my mouth, the people who would love me and provided to me for my parents. And I remember very clearly the day where I was living in Panama City, Florida, and my family was living in Jacksonville. And we met at my grandmother's house in the middle. We were about ready to leave, and I was so overcome with the conviction of God. But before we left, I said, hey, Dad, can I talk to you real quick? And my dad got out of the car and said, yeah, what's up? So I've been looking back over the last several years of my life, and God has just destroyed my arrogance. And I'm looking back on all the things I did. I just got to tell you, I'm sorry. The lie is at that moment, you remember the embarrassment, but that's not what I remember. What I remember is the forgiveness and love from my father. You remember that moment? Maybe not with your earthly father. Maybe you didn't have that moment. Maybe your father wasn't present. Maybe he passed away like my dad did. I don't know what the circumstance is, but do you remember that moment with your heavenly father where you went to him and went, I am so sorry. Do you remember the moment where you realized you were his enemy and he didn't show up for someone who did something good? He showed up and gave his life for his enemies. 
He gave his life for you as an enemy, knowing full well that even though some of us would be presented with the truth, we would still look at him and be like, I'm still not taking it. To arrogantly look at the creator of all things and say, I'm good, bro. Do you remember when that conviction set in for you? Do you remember what that moment was like? If you haven't had that moment, then today is a perfect day to have it. Matt, I never thought about that. I might be his enemy. Yes. If you constantly purposely live against what he wants for you to do with your life, you if you live outside of a faith in him, if you do not follow in that uh, in, the, in the footsteps of his instructions to be reconciled to God and let him pay the price for your sin and receive that gift for yourself. And today is the day. And if that's you and you have that faith in him and confess it out of your mouth, the Bible says heaven celebrates they're more rowdy than we are. I, I trust you. I, I can guarantee you. But for the rest of you in this room, do you remember what that day was like? Where it was every knee will bow and you said, I'm not going to wait till I'm forced to. I'm going to willingly give my life to him right now. Do you remember what it was like when you got that grace, when you had that moment? Do you remember that? My hope is, is that over these last six things that we've just talked about, that there has been specific memories that have been pushed to the surface so that we can acknowledge and recognize who we were. But God did not leave us where we were. We were his enemy, but that passage of scripture we just read said what? He lets us in if we sit on the outside. He lets us in the doors of heaven if we remain on the outer skirt, outskirts away from him because we were so bad. No, he willingly takes us in and takes us in close because he's brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. You know, and I know that there's nobody that we know that is that has completely no faults. But when God looks at you, he sees the gift that was given to you. Christ's righteousness and says, he can come into my presence because of that grace.